Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 558 for Monday, June 22nd, 2015. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share everything. Having been described as car talk for Apple geeks, the goal is for all of us to learn something new every time we get together. Today's episode is sponsored by Barebones Software at barebones.com, makers of BB Edit, which we'll talk about shortly here. Also sponsored by Linda, lynda.com slash mgg which is where you can go to get 10 free days of their excellent training videos and co- really courses we'll talk more about that later also other world computing at maxsales.com we'll talk a little bit today about their new USB-C dock all that and more coming up here here back in Durham New Hampshire at least temporarily I'm Dave Hamilton and here Back in Fairfield, Connecticut, at least temporarily. That's right. <laughs> John F. Braun. We spent some time together this week, John. You uh, you hosted me on Thursday night after we went to Pepcom and, uh, in New York. I'm sure we'll have some stuff as we explore more of the products we learned about there. And yes, then, and then, then we, we, I transported you in the utmost of comfort and convenience in, in the Saturn. That's right. The, the, the Braunmobile. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, <laughs> I noticed there was an issue when I got back, but um, that, 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 that doesn't matter. But um, yeah, and then we went to, you know, cute little, cute little regional airport here. And, uh, and then we, 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 we flew to the middle of the country, Dave, to, uh, to do a couple of things. Yeah. So we, uh, as, as many of you know, we talked about it on a previous show or two, the, uh, well, there were two things this weekend. There was the Midwest Mac barbecue. That, that was the first thing and uh, the first creation. And then out of that sort of as, as a spinoff from that was a conference. This was uh, called Mac stock, which was both of these things were fantastic. It started with, uh, with a listener of ours that we've talked about many times, Barry Falk. Barry uh, has been listening for a very, very long time. And was uh, always there at Macworld Expo and uh, at, at several other things. And, and Barry travels a lot, so he, he's able to kind of get around and, and really enjoys the, this podcast. But he's, he's really just a fan of, of a bunch of Mac podcasts. And he was quite sad when Macworld Expo uh, was not going to happen this year because it meant he couldn't get to see all of his Mac uh, podcasters and all of his friends that also listen. Many of you, in fact. And so Barry did something that is... Uh, just astounding. He reached out to all of us Mac podcasters and said, I'm doing the Midwest Mac barbecue and in June. And this was like, you know, late fall, I would say maybe, maybe winter. And uh, he said, I'm doing the Midwest Mac barbecue. I'm hosting a barbecue at my house for you, meaning us as the hosts and all of your listeners that want to come. This is a, a, a monumental thing to do. And, uh, and and then out of that, once we knew that all these people, once everyone knew that a, a bunch of these people were going to be in this in the area, he he lives just outside of uh, Chicago. Once once we knew that, then Mike Potter from the For Mac Eyes Only podcast decided to create a conference called Mac Stock, 
which went off swimmingly. It was a perfect conference. It went off even better if you know that it was Mike's very first conference ever. But you would not have known that uh, if you were at all involved with it or there because it just went perfectly. It really did. And uh, I don't say that lightly. So so this uh, this whole thing really was fantastic. And uh, and I believe it will happen next year. So we'll keep you posted on that. But with what Barry did and, and uh, Barry's wife, Bobby Ann, of course, was was as much of a host as Barry, if not more uh, with what Barry did. You know, Barry's Barry was our very first premium subscriber, John. And uh, but I, I and, and so he, he he certainly has a special place in our hearts for many reasons, that being one of them. But what he did this weekend goes above and beyond all that. And uh, and I believe, John, he 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 deserves recognition for that. So I, I would like to propose that we confer a new we create and then confer upon Barry as as the first yet again, a new level of Mac Geekab status. And I would like to call that ultra premium status. Uh, anybody that hosts a barbecue for all of us. That certainly deserves something. So what do you think about that, John? Ultra premium status for Mr. Barry Falk. I'm yes, to, to, to have an event which had at least a hundred people uh, with food and drink and cats. I like the cats too. <laughs> yes, I, I, I would say um, anyone who does that for the Mackey Gap community uh, uh, should uh, that goes through that level of effort uh, and expense, of course. Uh, yes, I, I, I concur. We, we shall create. Uh, and, and Barry is the inaugural member of this new the ultra tier. premium status club, the tier. There you go. So thank you, Barry. And thanks for everybody that came out, all the all the different podcasters. And um, obviously, you know, Barry created this. He's, he's not like I said, he's not just a fan of the show. He's a fan of many, many uh, back shows. And that was um that was the incentive for him. So it was, it was special getting to getting to speak at max Talk and, and all of this really started because of Barry. Um, there were a lot of people that put a lot of work in, especially Mike Potter, like I said, for uh, creating max Talk and, and really doing a bang up job with it and all of its sponsors and all that. But uh, it was a pretty cool thing. And, uh, and I think it will continue. I really do. I think there's enough momentum there that, you know, there will be another one of these next year and, and will be quite a bit larger. It wouldn't surprise me to see it double in size. And so, you know, a conference for a first ever conference to have over a hundred people there is almost unheard of, uh, especially when you're talking about a conference for consumers, right? I mean, it was you folks that were there. It wasn't developers. It wasn't, uh, you know, industry people. This was not a business trip for most. It was simply, leisure time being spent doing this, which is similar to what used to happen at Macworld Expo. Uh, but, uh, but for a new conference to be able to do this and there's no exhibit floor, you know, none of that, just people getting together, learning from one another. Uh, there were sessions at the conference. I gave one and uh, Allison Sheridan gave one. Chuck Joyner gave one. Julie Keel gave one. There's, you know, all kinds of people gave great sessions. Uh, and, I'm ready. You know, as, as I heard the speakers, I, I saw um, an opportunity. So I'm going to strongly consider doing one. Yeah, you should submit, uh, man. Well, I'm, I'm thinking something security related. It's something important. It was touched on by some of the, uh, uh, cool. you know, some of the other speakers. But, um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to have more detail and 
So I think I'll do that because the, the organizer suggested that, you know, so this was a single track. It was pretty much all day, you know, various good speakers. He was select, he was saying the next time around, we should have, you know, perhaps multiple tracks. Um, uh, you know, as the event grows, you kind of yeah. have to do that. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, it's very, it was cool. So we'll keep, we'll keep you posted as we learn more. All we know is that everybody wants it to happen next year. So, uh, so we'll see what happens and we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, I want to talk about our first sponsor, John. And, uh, and these folks were sponsors of the Mac stock event too. So we'll, we'll tie it in there a little bit. And that is other world confute, oh, confuting. No other world computing. So I came back with something. I don't know if it's allergies or what, but I've got something in my throat. that's just making me a little bit uncomfortable doing the show. So you'll hear me screw up today and that's just going to happen. Uh, other world computing folks at MacSales.com. These folks, they, they not only do they make excellent products, they have excellent customer service and they have been in the Mac industry, in the Apple industry for decades. They are much older than this show is. And this show is much too old. No, not much too old. Uh, they, they really do. And they care about people. They, they, um, they, they, they make products that people want to use and they help people use them. So uh, really a great resource online. And of course, a great place to get stuff. Today, I get to talk about their brand new USB-C dock. So this is a USB dock designed for the MacBook. It's very similar to their Thunderbolt dock, right? Which uh, is also awesome. And if you don't have one of these and you need a Thunderbolt dock, that's 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 the granddaddy of all the Thunderbolt docks right now. And it's a Thunderbolt 2 dock. But today, I get to talk about this USB-C dock. So it comes out in the fall. But... You can pre-order it today. It's only 129 bucks, and you get 11 ports for your new MacBook. So four USB uh, type USB three ports, like you know, normal that you'd plug like like drives or printers into or whatever you want. Uh, another USB C port, right? So you can plug your your power in or or extend from beyond that. Uh, it's got an SD card reader. It's got an HDMI port with 4K display support, gigabit Ethernet, audio in and out, uh, and then, of course, a connection to your computer because you've got to connect it to the computer. Uh, one, so uh, the audio out port, one of the USB 3 ports, the regular type A port, not type C, and the SD card reader are all on the front of this thing. So you have front access and then, of course, rear access uh, for the sort of the more permanent things. Really, really cool. It comes in, of course, three colors, right? Because they're going to match the MacBooks, and uh, and you got to check this out. So if you if you really if you need uh, if you have a MacBook, you're probably going to want to get on the list for one of these things. If you plug it in anywhere where you where you need additional connections, like when you're at home or that sort of thing, really breaks it all out. And for 129 bucks, uh, man, that's a that's a great price to be able to get all that uh, all that stuff. So you got to check out other world computing. If you need RAM, if you need uh, a, a, an external hard drive, right? It, it, John, you got your SSD from them. They just, they find good deals, but they also make great stuff. And they, they test everything locally here in, uh, in the States. If, if something comes back, they've got engineers that really know this stuff. So you got to check it out. Otherworld Computing, MacSales.com. And, uh, and thank them for sponsoring MacStock too. Thank them for sponsoring this show, of course. But... Thank you for sponsoring MacStock too. It's a great thing. Otherworld computing at MacSales.com. And with that, John, we will move on 
to our first question of the day, which sort of is related to what we've been doing here. And that comes from Peter because uh, Peter was having some trouble, well, with Wi-Fi while he was traveling. He says, I'm on a trip for work and staying at a hotel on the Hilton chain, trying to use the hotel Wi-Fi. As you've talked about before, it's appalling service for too much money. Well, that's true. Uh, my current problem isn't speed, but some websites just not loading, and I haven't been able to troubleshoot it. BBC News loads fine, but the New York Times site will simply not load. It freezes even before the window changes, with the progress bar stuck a very short way along. Certain other websites show the same behavior. Mail app won't refresh and won't indicate there's a problem. It happens on my Mac running Yosemite 1010 as well as my iPhone 5S running OS, iOS 8.3. Forgetting the network or turning Wi-Fi off and then on or a few other network setting manipulations don't solve the problem. If I switch to personal hotspotting, everything loads fine. But personal hotspot sucks my iPhone battery dead. And in any case, our data plan isn't enormous since we don't usually need that much data. Any thoughts? Yeah, so we've been through some of this. Um, it, it's always a little weird. And it's important to remember the way this works, right? You turn your computer on. You, it's not connected to a network. You pull down the Wi-Fi thing or you do this on your iPad. It's the same procedure. You connect to the Hilton Wi-Fi. As soon as your computer sees that it gets an IP address, it starts trying to do all of these things that it's been queued up trying to do. Maybe there's a web page trying to load. Maybe mail is trying to be fetched, right? All of these things. And what's the first thing that happens when it does one of those lookups? Well, it or when it tries to connect to one of those is it does a DNS lookup. It says, OK, I want to get to, you know, uh, imap.mailserver.com or www.newyorktimes.com, right? All these things happen. But because you haven't logged in via the hotel yet, the hotel actually redirects all of those lookups to force you to log in. That works great for the first one in Safari. But if if you're in mail it's not going to redirect. I mean, it's going to redirect you, but you're not going to see a web page, right? Because you're connecting to the mail server there. And so you finally will get connected to one of the web pages and then it refreshes that, you know, you, you go through your thing, you either pay or, you know, if you have some coupon code or whatever you go through, you authenticate, finally you're connected. Now you start uh, being able to actually get out on the internet. But sometimes the computer remembers the internal address that it was redirected to at the Hilton website. And it can't get your mail because it's looking in the wrong place. And that happens. I'm not, it's not, it's not the only thing that can happen, but that, that is, that's what happens. And most of the time when I get into a loop like that, there are many ways to reset DNS, but the best one that I've found is to reboot my computer or reboot my iPhone or iPad. And that usually does it. Um, at least for me. And that, that, that's usually the solution in a situation like this. Uh, another option would be to use, uh, you know, a VPN where you're tunneling all your connections out. You still are going to need to authenticate because otherwise it's not going to let you out. But if you use something, you know, like we mentioned in the last show um, and, and, you know, full disclosure, they are a sponsored uh, tunnel bear. Right. Um, and, and if you use something like that, then it uh, it might solve this because you're creating a new network connection. Right. And, and therefore, some of this stuff gets reset when it when it goes out that way. So that's. That's my thoughts on this, John. I know you ran into a little something like this at the conference center in a similar way, right? I did. But to, uh, to add to what you said, Dave, so as you're pointing out, a lot of times it's a DNS, DNS issue yep. three times fast. 
you may want to reset the DNS cache in OS 10. Now, as you pointed out, restarting should be able to do that. But if you don't have time for restarting, there's a command you could do in the terminal to do that. And fortunately, there's a handy dandy support article that tells you how to do this. And it's called reset the DNS cache in OS 10. And just to add to the excitement, it's slightly different depending on which version of OS 10 that you're running. So uh, if you're running Yosemite, it's sudo space discovery util space mdns flush cache. But we will link to that article because I think effectively that does what a restart will do as well. Yeah, it, 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 yes, it does. That's true. Yeah, I think I, I've been through this and I've, I've found it, sometimes it just takes a little time to, to do it. So um. it was weird, though, because, you know, so there were two systems that I was using. One was the one at the Hilton that we stayed at. So we stayed at Hilton, the Hilton Garden Inn. That's true. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I had absolutely, once I authenticated to their system, and the thing was there were a number of ways you could authenticate. If you were a Hilton uh, Rewards member, uh, if you were staying there and you gave them your room number and your uh, last name, it would authenticate you for a day. Yep. And I got to say that once I, once I authenticated, everything that I tried to run worked. My email worked. Um, everything I tried. Uh, the speeds were not fantastic. They were, you know, hey, it, 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 I, I was okay with what I got. Sure. For... You know, and it's including the price of the room. What they had at the conference center, they had some uh, some sort of uh, similar system, which, you know, you had to give them a username and password. But Dave, I was never able to get my mail. It, it tried to go to my mail. It tried to go to my uh, all of my uh, mail servers. None of them worked. I tried to uh, run OpenVPN and TunnelBear, and both of those had just sat there just vegging out. And I think they may have a security profile that prevented anyone from doing something like that. No, I was able to tunnel bear from there. I was able to get oh, my mail. Okay. I was, yeah, really? I had no trouble. Oh yeah. Yeah. No problem. Really? Did you try restarting? All right. Uh, no. Okay. No. So that could have been it. Or, yeah. or I, I don't think I, I flushed the, the DNS cache. I, uh, mm, right, right. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't critical, but, um, but it was consistent. So yeah, maybe, maybe I should have restarted. Yeah. Yeah. I had no trouble. I, I did. This was at a college campus where the, uh, where the, the conference was held. And so they had a, you know, they had a guest network and a regular network and you could connect to the guest and we had a password for the day for the conference and, and you know, all of the normal stuff. <laughs> but, um, but it, uh, it, they, their network was very segmented. I could not see one device from another, uh, which is probably good. It made it difficult to use my, my iPhone. I keep an iPhone five around just in case I have a problem with one of our current iPhones, but I, I like to use it as a remote when I do sessions because it's the only remote that I can do. The only keynote remote that I can do that shows me my notes. So I don't need to be near my laptop. I can walk away and just glance down and see my notes and ah, yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to talk about. So I couldn't do that. So I had to be near the podium and just be able to read what's going on. Why are you okay. laughing? What's up? I'm laughing because I, I actually did do something that allowed me to see all of the other computers on their network. Did you run to uh, oh, no, no, okay. no, uh, no. I was sitting in my seat and I looked down at the floor and I'm like, hmm, look at that. An RJ45 cable. Do you wonder what that does? That <laughs> <laughs> no, was a cable into their network. And that and that was not segmented. So it was just the Wi-Fi that was segmented. Is that right? Well, no, it, it's funny because it also queried me for a um, for authentication. 
Right, right, but it but it didn't it didn't just that you could see everything else on the network over Ethernet. Oh yeah, in, in the shared sidebar, yeah. in the shared sidebar, I saw every single computer that was on that that segment of the network. So Interesting. That's kind of weird how they, uh, yeah, how the behavior was was different because actually at the hotel there was both wired and wireless, and I actually did the wired initially, so I came in my room and I saw the Ethernet cable, and I'm like, well, you know, because and the speed was better, so the speed was better on the wired. Um, the download speed was about the same, but the upload speed was much better than the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi was awful. Huh. I didn't have any trouble with either. Worked, I mean, it worked okay. great for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right you want to take us on. to Cindy, John? I'm going to take us to Cindy. Oh, gosh. Cindy writes. Oh, I, I can. <laughs> this is near and dear to my heart because I had problems with this, too. Hi, guys. Help. My iPhone 5S battery only lasts three to four hours, even when not in use. My phone also gets very hot when charging and warm during use. It only lasts about an hour while in use, listening to music while mowing the grass. My phone is more than a year old and out of warranty. I tried everything I can think of to figure out why this suddenly started happening a couple of months ago. I have restored it a few times deleted everything on my phone through settings, reset, erase all content and settings, and then set up my phone as new. And then spent a couple of days with only the apps that get installed by, um, by Apple. Um, used it while disabling location, Bluetooth, etc. Called Apple to make sure it wasn't one of the phones that got a recall. Had a new battery installed at a store in the mall. Uh, tried all the recalculating tips. I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, yeah, probably recalibrating, the- John. Right. Okay. Well, that, uh, okay. Because the next tip is I let it run all the way down and then charge it all the way up, which I think is what that is. Okay. Um, checking my AT&T cell signal, although it isn't always great. My battery, battery issues happen no matter the strength. Tried every suggestion I could find on the web. Well, I'm not quite sure about that because I think I have one. And the other, and here's an odd one, Dave. I haven't run into this. Um, on my battery usage, it always shows battery information will be available after using iPhone for a few minutes. Since I have began paying attention to this stat, it never shows my usage. Do you guys have any tips that I have not considered? <clears throat> and I have at least one, Dave, because yeah. I ran into this recently. Right. And I don't think I've talked about it too recently. But I'll mention this because this is similar well, it, it, it's in the spirit of the first thing that Cindy tried, and it's that doing a restore. But there are two types of restore. Now, if, you, if you go to Apple and you look on their site and you ask how to do a restore, or you look in iTunes, there's what I'll call a, a regular restore. But then there's a super secret restore. Because Apple themselves, as far as I can tell, they don't tell you how to do this type of restore. And which I'm going to call it a deeper restore. Uh, it's also known, and you'll see it come up on your screen when you do this, it's also known as a DFU restore. DFU being device firmware update. And this absolutely solved my issue, Dave, when I was having battery issues, battery calibration issues, and that my phone would die at 20%. It would just go down 20%, and you would see the spinning wheel, and it would shut down. And then when I plugged it back in, uh, when it woke up, it would say, yep, you're at 20%. And I'm like, well, that's not right. Because <laughs> I don't think that's proper behavior. Um, and I'll link to an article that, that, that explains this is one of the things that many people have found that will solve 
they're battery related issues. And then, and because this sounds like a battery related issue to me, Dave, I'm going to say that this short of everything else may do it because I think what it also does, or at least in my experience, Dave is a DFU restore. In addition, I think it reflashes the firmware. I think what's also happening is that it's resetting some of the low level variables, like the variable used to measure battery capacity or when to shut down and it, and it rewrites those or resets those. Yep. So that it gets the phone back into the swing of things here. I believe I think he's got to be yeah. care- you got to be careful. It, it involves you holding down the home button and the power button for a certain length of time, eight to 10 seconds. Uh, you got to make sure that you don't see anything on your screen. Um, that's normal for a DFU restore. As a matter of fact, if you see something on your screen, then you have not activated the DFU restore properly. If you have, then you do the, you, you know, you do this key sequence, you plug your phone in and then you will start getting prompts. Uh, or notifications, uh, and eventually iTunes will come up, say, oh, well, you want to do this special restore? Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, not seeing the battery level, that... Uh, the other thing is, I don't know if there's a hardware issue with this phone. No, no, it sounds, sounds like software. I mean, it's running, it's working, it's just kind of forgetting. <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it is a hardware issue. I think she needs a new battery. Well, I she think said she got she got a replaced. So she it sounds like she didn't get a replaced by Apple. She got got replaced yeah, by a third that's party. True. Yeah, 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 yeah. She said that. So yeah. I mean, it could be that. You know, actually, here here's another thing. Okay, this just I this just came off the top of my head. I had not run this utility before, Dave, and it's kind of magical. I don't know if it's magical, but it does it does the measurement of the battery in the iPhone in a in a way that's kind of unusual. So first, when I was, you know, when I ran into this issue again with the battery uh, level, I'm like, is there a utility that tells me the current charge of the battery in the iPhone? And And I don't know if there's a, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's an an iOS app, or at least I couldn't find one being the thrifty fellow that I am. I couldn't find one that didn't cost money, but I did find one, Dave. But it's a Mac application. Now you may be saying, wait, John, what's wrong with you, man? (laughs) No, it's a Mac application called Coconut Battery. And while it tells you the battery level in your Mac, it also has a feature where it'll tell you once you plug your iOS device into your Mac, it'll tell you the battery level on your, on your iOS oh, device. Oh, nice. I didn't Isn't realize Coconut Battery cool? would do that. That's pretty cool. I didn't either. I, I was looking around and, and yeah, and it comes up and it gives you the uh, uh, maximum charge level and the current charge level. So you could... Uh, oh, maybe that's pretty cool. Maybe whoever put the battery in there, uh, maybe it is a bad battery. Um, so coconut battery, when you put it in read my iOS device mode, can give you a heads up as to what. So, for example, in my case, I believe the iPhone 5S should have a capacity of about 1550 milliamp hours. Right. Huh. So and that's the one that she has. So does that still run that co- still work with the current? Uh, flavor of iOS that that locked down a lot of those. I mean, I know it locked down app stuff, but coconut I, battery can still see it. I I I run it within. Uh, yes, I I run it on my phone that has the most current uh, release version of iOS, and and it, yes, yeah, it saw it. So they they are not hiding that. Sweet. Hey, I want to point out Alex in the uh, chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream. Hello, everyone there. Uh, points us to the iPhone five battery replacement program. Uh, it, you put in your serial number to see if you are eligible, but, uh, but that's, that's worth checking out if, uh, 
if you want to check that out. So thank you, Alex. And, uh, and then Brian Moreau also in the chat room says, pay the buck 99 and get Omnistat. It kicks butt and lets you also know the currently connected Wi-Fi. So, uh, that's a pretty cool. Oh, I got to check that out. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So we'll put those in the show notes. That's awesome. Thank you guys. That's good stuff. In addition to the, I'm going to assume it also shows the battery level. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. right. In, yeah, in addition to the battery level, it also lets you know the, the currently connected Wi-Fi. Yes, yes, yes. Very cool. All right. Uh, moving on to Devin, because, well, why not? That's where we got to go with this. Oh, I am getting sick of this weird thing. 2855. Okay. Uh, Devin writes... I've got a couple of questions for you regarding the management of Apple cloud services. I'll skip as much background as possible, but short story is that I got a new MacBook pro retina with about a quarter of the storage of my last computer. Uh, He's got 250 gigs on the SSD coming down from one terabyte on his previous machine. He says, I have to run two separate installs of OS 10 on two different partitions because of work requirements. Going forward, the split will be about 110 for personal and one or 110 for work and 140 for personal. My photos library is about 70 gigs. My iTunes library is about 200 gigs. And I previously kept both of those on my boot drive. Uh, I bought a transcend 128 gig SD card and I've added that to the mix as well. But in short, I need to slim down my storage and plan to move these two libraries onto my NAS. This will be fine for when I'm at home as I can connect to them via the network. My plan is to set up a secondary library for iTunes and for iPhoto within my local home folders and use iTunes match and iCloud photo library to access anything I need while not at home. That's smart. Uh, a couple of questions. Does this strategy make sense? Uh, I've been doing this with iTunes match on another computer and it's worked fine, but I'm not sure about iPhoto or photos. Sorry. Uh, number two, is there a way to get photos to behave like iTunes match? iTunes match is great because I, when I start up a new library on another computer, it shows all my music, but only downloads the ones that I want. And number three, how can I prune the local libraries I keep in the home folders of my Mac? I tried this once just by deleting the files in a secondary iTunes library that had been downloaded via iTunes Match, and it caused all kinds of problems. Okay, so uh, in ans- to answer your questions uh, in order, yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I, I think it's a great idea. I do something similar here with my laptop, um, and it, it, it works quite well. So, yeah, holding down the option key when you boot either iPhoto or sorry iTunes or photos. Correct me if I'm wrong here, John. I, I, so I, I have this, whatever this crud is. So I took a Sudafed and four and 800 milligrams of, uh, of ibuprofen before we recorded. Cause that's the magic laryngitis cure. Right. Um, and, and it's working cause that you can hear me, but it might make me a little looser than normal. So correct me if I'm wrong, but option key on start iTunes and photos will let you pick or create an alternate library. Um, so yeah, that, that works. Number two, is there a way to get photos to behave like iTunes match? Kind of. Photo stream will do this, but only with your thousand most recent photos. iCloud photo library does this more completely, but it's a little weird configuring that. Um, it, you can tell it to uh, download or not download the stuff to your Mac, and, and, and that's where it starts to get a little dicey. But here's the thing iCloud Photo Library is also accessible on the web at iCloud.com. So you can always go there and see your photos. 
um, and even download them if you want. In fact, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I have a follow-up to this that we'll, that I'll share, but, um, but you, you know, you've got to, in order to do that, you have to buy cloud storage, just like you do with, with iTunes match, right? You're paying 25 bucks a year for, for that. And cloud storage is going to cost you probably more than that. Uh, as far as deleting files from your, your libraries, don't just delete them in the finder. Use the software to do that. So use iTunes to delete files from your computer. It will ask you if you have iTunes match, when you go to delete a file, it'll say, do you want to delete this from the cloud? The answer, of course, in that case is probably no. And then what will happen is in iTunes, you will see the file remaining there. But if you put the cloud iCloud status uh, column up, which you can do, then it will show you that it needs to be downloaded from the cloud and it doesn't reside locally. So that's the right way to do that. And you can do that with in bulk and select multiples and, and, and remove them and all of that. And it, it does work. It works great. Um, again, as far as photos, not quite as robust in, or you can't get quite as granular there. Um, but uh, you know, you don't have to sync them all down. You don't have to enable iCloud photo library on your computer excuse me, you can just, or you don't have to enable iCloud photo library to download photos to your computer. You can just have it push them up to that, or you can just use photo stream if having the most recent thousand photos is enough. So that's, that's that John, do you have anything to add to that before I move on to a related uh, topic here? I would say I do something similar in that I have a constrained drive in my mini and that it's only 200, uh, 240 gigs. Yep. And my music library is maybe a hundred. So my solution is I have it on the Synology. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. Uh, right. And I stream it. So, uh, so a similar, uh, approach, but using different tools in that, uh, yeah, it's on external storage rather than local. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you put your, your music library on the Synology, then you can use something like DS audio, uh, and audio stations to, to create your own roll your own iTunes match essentially. And, yep. and you can do something similar with photos. It's a little bit wonky. Um, so I tried out iCloud photo library, John, and, uh, I got sick and tired uh, while I've been traveling of waking up every morning and having my iPhone say, Hey Dave, I couldn't back up last night because you're out of storage. So I want to talk about that. But first I want to talk about our second sponsor for this show, which is Linda at L Y N D a.com slash M G G. That's where you go to get 10 free days of Linda's fantastic training seminars. I'll call them They're They're videos, they're video seminars, but these are seminars. They're not just videos. They are seminars that have a video element. They also have course materials. They also have chapters in the videos so that you can really work through and, um, and, and, and really get the most out of these courses. And there's courses about all kinds of things. Programming, of course, you want to learn, uh, you know, JavaScript. Great. You want to learn C plus plus. Great. You want to learn Swift. Great. You want to learn Swift too. You know, it's coming, right? Because why wouldn't it? That's, that's how, that's how Linda is. And, uh, and these are taught by people that are professionals in their field. It's not just some dude. It's some dude who has spent or, or, or dudette, uh, who has spent decades learning this stuff, perfecting it, 
and, and really, really knows how to teach. So it, it, it's all of that. Linda is very selective with who they bring on board. And this is the future of education because it's so easy to learn stuff and cherry pick what it is you want to know. And when you finish a course, then it'll, it'll tell you, well, there's other courses you can take. And that's the beauty of Linda. You don't pay per course. You just pay one monthly fee starts to hit 25 bucks. That's like, like $25, not $2,500, $25. That's it. And then you can, you can take any course you want at lynda.com for 25 bucks a month. You can pay a little bit more and have offline access to the courses. If you want to be able to, you can, so you can, for 25 bucks a month, you can stream to your computer and your iPhone, your iPad, whatever you want. No problem. If you want offline access to the courses and you pay a little bit more so that you can have offline access, that's all. Uh, but you have access to a hundred percent of their library for 25 bucks and even better because they worked out a deal with us. Lynda.com slash MGG gets you 10 free days. So you don't even have to pay the 25 bucks, 10 free days to check it out. You probably will. You'll probably pay the 25 at the end because it's awesome, but you don't have to lynda.com slash MGG gets you 10 free days of their awesome training videos. I highly recommend it. And I, and I have a favor to ask of all of you. So, uh, so go to lynda.com slash MGG. If you haven't gone there already and, and take a course and then tell us about the course. And I would love to hear what courses you've chosen because it's not just programming stuff. It, you can take business courses. You can take uh, courses in Photoshop. You can take courses. It, it's not just computer stuff is, is what I'm saying is, you know, you can take an accounting course if you want and take all kinds of stuff. So I'm curious to hear what courses you've taken. Send this to us at feedback at com. I really want to hear about them. It's lynda.com slash MGG. All right, John. Now I want to talk about this iCloud photo library thing because I disabled it is what I did. And, uh, and this was not an easy process. I decided I wanted my storage back for my backups. And, uh, and so I, I, I did it. I, I disabled iCloud photo library, but I, these steps that I went through and, and I'm going to write an article about this because, um, it was not easy. So the first thing you do is, um, well, you want to convert to photos, right? That, I mean, but otherwise you're not going to be doing this anyway, but you convert to photos and then you disable iCloud photo library on your Mac so that it's not going to be uploading anymore. Okay. Then you import all your iOS devices, photos into the photo library. And if you don't do that, then you might lose something, right? Because there might be something on your iPhone that hasn't uploaded to iCloud photo library because you're full and you don't want to miss out on that. So upload uh, or sync those to your Mac, import them into your Mac. Do that with both of your or all of your iOS devices. After that, disable iCloud photo library on your iOS devices. Now, here comes the tricky part. The next thing you're going to do, but don't do it yet, is download all of your iCloud photos from the website. This way, if there was anything up there that wasn't on your devices or not in full size on your devices, you're still going to get it down. And then once you download it, you're going to import them. But here's the thing. You're going to do this in Safari. And when you download your photos, you can select all of the photos and hit download. That's no problem. It's going to download them individually, one file per photo to your downloads folder. 
So you might want to change the location of your downloads folder, but I guarantee you what you want to do is go into Safari's preferences and uh, I'm, I'm going to get the exact thing. Oh, where is that thing, John? Oh, yeah. Right in uh, preferences general at the bottom is a checkbox that says open safe files after downloading and safe files include movies, pictures, sounds, PDFs and text documents. You don't want it opening every single picture in preview. Uh, this was a disaster for me, and it took quite a bit of manipulating to finally get that window to stay up so that I could uncheck it. So you don't want to do that. So, or you do want it. You want to uncheck that. Once you've done that, go to iCloud, download everything, import them all into photos on your Mac, and the duplicates will be skipped because photos is smart about things like that. Then go back. Once you've imported them all, then go back to iCloud photos on the web and delete them from there. Right. So now you've freed them up on the web. Now you have your storage space back. And finally, my final step was to install Flickr uploader for Mac so that I'm actually backing up my photos to a free one terabyte storage in the cloud. And my life got a whole lot better because I can access those Flickr photos from everywhere. And I don't have to deal with either paying for a fortune worth of storage or, um, or my phone yelling at me that it can't back up. So that's, that's what I did on that, John. What'd you do? Or actually, you don't use iCloud Photo Library. You, you never head down that path, right? That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Is, yeah, I have them all stored on my monstrously huge SSD or my Aperture, now my Photos Library. Right. You know, it's about 150 gigs. And uh, yeah, and I still do streaming, but I do not, you know, I still do, do the photo stream. Right. But um, yeah, not I, it just not for me. And of course I use a, you know, I use Flickr to uh, publish my albums too, which both Aperture and Photos and iPhoto integrate nicely with. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a better option. Yeah. I mean, iCloud Photos is great if you're willing to pay for all that storage. Well, and you, you feel, you know, honestly, I, it's just the way that I manage my photos, but I don't feel it. The photos that are important, uh, the photos that are important to me are the ones that I publish to Flickr. Oh, well, see, I'm not talking about, there's two different things here, right? I'm not publishing to Flickr. I'm saving to Flickr in a private library. So it's not accessible yeah. to anyone, right? I just wanted to make that clear. No, there's two it. different it's, things you can do with Flickr. That's right. Yep. Right. What I'm saying is that uh, when photos came out and they introduced, you know, I call it photo library. I didn't, I don't personally feel it necessary to be able to access all my photos from all my devices. That's just how I roll. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, wait, you want to access all your photos from all your devices? No, I don't. You don't. Oh, okay. All right. 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 I just selectively publish the ones that I want to share. Uh, you know, like I said, with a, you know, the, the, from an album out to, uh, out to Flickr. What or do you do for, it. what do you do for cloud backup of your photos? Uh, huh? Wow. Really? Um, I, I, I don't cloud backup my photos. So you have no offsite backup of your photos? Uh, some of them. So I have, uh, depending on the photos you're talking about. So, so the, the photos that I have on my Mac, which is, you know, my primary photo library. Yeah. Okay. No, I see what you're asking. Yeah. Right. No, okay. I'm just talking Fair about enough. backups. Um, yeah. Yeah, so backup of my photos on my 
in my Aperture library, yep. uh, those I have backed up to a Carbon Copy Cloner uh, external drive. Okay. All right. And then I have uh, the photos that are in my camera roll on my iOS device. Yep. Uh, those are backed up using uh, Dropbox. So I enabled the Dropbox uh, mechanism, which says, oh, there's new photos. Let's put that in your Dropbox. Sure. Um, I'm also using uh, OneDrive. Because they do that as well. And if you do that, they actually throw you a, a ton of extra space. So I have two, I would say two primary photo libraries. One is my aperture library, you know, which typically I do with my real camera or, you know, my uh, uh, handheld camera. And yep. then my iOS photos, I back up using the methods I just described. Yeah, right, right. All right. Cool. Yeah. So I, I have at least, uh, for both of them, I have at least one backup right okay okay and then i publish them to Flickr, which is uh depending on where where it's coming from yeah i'm kind of because it depends on where the photo is coming from if it's coming from my uh you know my point and shoot camera um well actually no both of those i'll I'll publish out to Flickr. uh so either my ios photos or my uh my uh point and shoot camera photos uh, i'll push those both out to Flickr. in addition to having at least one other method of backing them up so yeah so there's so there's a method to my madness. Good. Good. Yeah, I, I've also been using um, Google Photos uh, on on iOS, and that that's been interesting. I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about Google seeing all my and indexing my photos, but if you are, then you shouldn't do that because that that's exactly what they're doing. But it is cool what they're doing. You know, you you take pictures, and I want I say I want to see pictures from the beach, and with no tags whatsoever it shows me my pictures from the beach in, you know, and it's doing it. My guess is by both location, but also uh, actually looking at the the photo itself. Adam Christensen was telling me that, you know, he wanted pictures of flamingos and he found his pictures of flamingos. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool, man. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you know, the cloud is where the brain is, I guess. So it's good stuff. All right. Uh, Well, while we're, while we're kind of on this, thing where are we here time wise yeah we've got we've got some time uh i want to go to kurt here and we'll talk about kurt had a question uh about how to find his old itunes purchases let's see if we can find kurt's question here things are moving in a weird way for me all right kurt says my wife has a problem after her recent upgrade to yosemite when she connects her phone to the computer to sync with it it tells her that there are 48 songs she needs to authenticate or risk having deleted from her phone. If she clicks authenticate, it brings up a sign-in for an old Apple ID that we used 10 years ago. She wasn't good about recording passwords back then and can't remember it. Worse, that email account that's associated with it is with a provider that has since gone out of business. So resetting the Apple ID and password seems problematic. Do you have any suggestions? At the very least, she wishes she could know exactly what is going to get deleted the error message that tells her about the 48 items doesn't identify of them except for one, which isn't really that helpful. Okay. First of all, I think if you call Apple and explain the problem, they might be able to help. I mean, there's going to be some authentication process they go through, but uh, my guess is that they're not going to leave you stranded on these purchases. Uh, They might even might even be able to move them to you. So uh, to, you know, a different account. So that's, that's number one, but uh, as an exercise, in case that doesn't work, uh, I came up with the following plan to sort out which tunes might be affected. So first, create a smart playlist with the criteria purchased 
is set to is true, right? That'll narrow things down to only purchase tracks. Then on that playlist, go to the view menu, go to view options, go to show columns, go to stats, go to purchase date. That should get you a column with the date you purchased the tracks. Then you could sort by that column and, uh, and get info on the oldest track that might start to give you some of this data. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to get you there. If, if the tracks are truly only on the iPhone, you might need to import them using a different utility like iMazing, right? They won't be playable on your computer, but they'll at least be there. And if you go to play them, it's going to ask you to authenticate, but if they're not already there, uh, I think they would be already there though. Uh, but if they're not, you know, pull in all your tracks with amazing, it'll sort through dupes and then, and then, you know, you've got them and, and you can sort them out that way. So that's, that's my thought process on that, John. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts of your own? Yes, I do. So someone at Apple could certainly help you, Dave, but there is a site you can go to. Uh, so the, the concern here was that this is based on, uh, an email address that no longer exists. Yeah. I think what Apple offers may be able to let you get around this. Okay. So if you go to very cleverly named, I forgot, <laughs> get it? I do. I forgot.apple.com. Um, there's a way you can reset your password or you can reset your uh, Apple ID. Now, if you go there, it's going to ask, well, what's your Apple ID? Sure. Now if, now, if you type it in there, so this is the reason I say you may want to go here, it's going to give you two options. It's going to say, well, uh, you want to do email authentication? And obviously, in this case, that's not going to work because sure. they don't exist anymore. But then there's also a second option. Uh, answer security questions. Ah, right. So what I'm going to suggest is if you remember the answer to your security questions, you may be able to reset the password for that account and then recover your goodies. I like it. I like so it. I haven't, you know, I, I, I had a phase where I, I went through this because like a lot of people, or I, I don't know about you, Dave, is at one point, and I think even now, I think I have three Apple IDs. Mm. And I believe each Apple ID consists of, you know, a word, but also an email address. And I think you can use either one interchangeably to log into an Apple ID. Does that sound right to you? No, but I think you can only log in with the way you've created it. Right. It, it, if it, if it's an email address, which I think most of them are, it's an email address. I don't think you can have a non email address. You can't create a non email address, Apple ID now, but you could have in the past, but then that's the way you had to log in. And I think at one point they made you convert that to an email address, Apple ID. Okay, because I remember at one point I went through an exercise because I had both email address and a, a word that didn't have, you know, an at whatever dot whatever right. in it. And I had to consolidate everything because it was a mess because I had different ones. Right now, I think I have pretty much everything that's important to me consolidated under, well, two Apple IDs. Okay. Uh, I think I have two because the problem is I think the developer program doesn't let you, for some stupid reason, use <laughs> your primary... Uh, uh, um, Apple ID for, for, or at least when, when I was running into it, it's like, you know, okay, developer program, what's your Apple ID? And I put it in there and it's like, well, no, you can't, no, they were, they were like, oh, you can't use one that has an Apple domain. <laughs> oh, like, right. Well, that's, stupid. that's right. Yeah. I think it was a, yeah. a Mac.com or me.com account. And it's like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, why not? 
Yeah. So I had to need, use a different. They need so, to know who you are. That's right. Yeah. There's that whole authentication well, thing. Well, yeah. I know who I am. It's just I happen, you know. I, right. I, I wanted to use an app, uh, you know, uh, Apple domain email account. And they, uh, they, they, for whatever reason, they, they, they don't like that. So that's right. Yep. yep. All right. So hopefully, I forgot. Can uh, can dig you out of this hole here? If yeah, you definitely. Security question answers. Yeah, try that first for sure. All right, let's um, let's go to Royce here. This is going to be very interesting, John, because uh, there's all kinds of all kinds of things that that happen here. So Royce has Royce asks as I pull this up. I got too much going on today. Can you tell? He says, I've got an unusual problem at work. We have a new iMac that drives ProPresenter and a multi-screen projector setup for the church. The TV department has an attendant at this Mac, but also two other workers controlling it via screen sharing from inside the control booth. The main iMac is outside on the balcony near the soundboard. Not, an, not a rare setup. This, this tends to happen a lot because um, you can't have a soundboard in a control room because you can't hear. So here's the problem. Sporadically... They're claiming that they lose the ability control to control the main iMac. Uh, they say the mouse can move, but clicking the button does nothing. The two controllers in the TV room both logged in simultaneously throughout the entire service. I don't know why they have this set up, but they claim it's the only way they can get it done. Yeah. I suspect that the main iMac doesn't like to be controlled by so many people. If this is the case, there is there any software solution that will allow multiple controllers of a single Mac uh, so yeah, I found screen sharing to work. I use it here, but it, it gets clunky at times and it does strange things. I have Apple remote desktop, which is similar, but, but a separate piece of software. And I found that far more reliable than, uh, the screen sharing client that's built into OS 10. I don't know why it would seem to me that they would be based on the same code base and maybe they are. And maybe it, maybe my experience is just uh, coincidental, but I find Apple, Apple remote desktop more reliable. However, um, it's not cheap and I don't believe there's a free trial for it. So uh, I do recommend checking out a piece of software called screens from Adovia. It's a great VNC client. That's really Apple friendly, um, I use it on iOS and they also have a Mac version and that might work better too. And the good news is that screens, you can download a trial from the website. So that's where I would start with this is checking out screens to see if that keeps it more reliable than, uh, than, than uh, the built in screen sharing is. So that's uh that's where I would go with this. And Brian Monroe in the chat room is saying that ARD Apple remote desktop is, is not the same as screen sharing. And so there you go. Maybe that's, maybe that's why it's been more reliable for me. Thoughts on this, John? Yes. All right. So I looked here and Dave, yeah, we, we have ARD because we, you know, I still have the one, uh, you know, they, Apple tossed us a copy like ages ago and I still have it. <laughs> well, I think, and I think it's also available if you're in the developer program too, but, um, Okay, and uh, and looking here, the the price is um uh, I don't know it's 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 seventy nine ninety nine yeah so yeah it may be worth it for you to uh, to invest in that. The thought that just crossed my mind, I'm not sure. I thought that Apple Server had some enhanced screen sharing abilities, though I could be wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And of course, I, App, and I of course the server. Too. 
Yeah, because I'm all, cause when I. I didn't know that's right. I don't think there's anything different in that, but they, I could be wrong. I've, I've connected to uh, Pilot Pete runs a, a OS 10 server at his house or he used to, and I would connect, and there wasn't anything inherently different about the way I connected to that. Yeah, you're right. Because, yeah. Yeah, I thought server added something, but I'm looking at it right now. I'm running into both my machines here. And I do not see anything very specific. I don't see anything uh, off the top of my head here specific. Oh, no, I do see. No, no, I'm sorry. So I'm running server. And in the tools menu, there is a screen sharing. No, okay, that's just access at another machine. Okay, no, I take it back. I I don't think Apple server does it for you. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. Either ARD or, or, well, the the tools that you mentioned. Yeah. Be worth looking at. Yeah. And then then some folks in the... uh, in the chat room, we're suggesting Team Viewer as well, which which would let. Oh gosh, why didn't I even think of that? Yep. Yeah, for non-commercial use, it's uh, the price is right. It's free. Yep. Huh. Yep. So that that would be another option to try, but but I think those will those will get you there. Screen sharing, uh, like I said, has been a little a little wonky for me. I want to uh, I want to talk about John, our third sponsor for this show, which is Barebones at barebones.com. The folks at Barebones have been making Mac software for multiple decades, and there's one piece of software that they have been making for those decades. They've made others and do make others now, but BB Edit is the piece of software that goes all the way back. And you can check this out at barebones.com, but just because it's been developed for decades does not mean that they haven't kept up to date with it. In fact, it's fantastic how up to date they've kept. And the reason is they use it right? It's a piece of software for editing text files, which is what they as programmers do all day long. So yes, this is built ostensibly for programmers, but not, you don't have to be a uber geeky programmer to get benefit out of BB edit. Certainly if you are a programmer, uber geeky or not, you're going to find things in this that you love. The ability to collapse functions, the ability to open and save from an FTP server so you don't have to jump through a separate client. All of that stuff is right there. But that, see, that stuff is fantastic, especially if you're not an uber geeky programmer. If you're just editing some HTML, say, for your website that you host at DreamHost, being able to do all of that in one package is really, really simple. And that's part of the benefit. And you can hide stuff that you don't want to see. You just kind of twist these things closed. And it does the same kind of stuff with HTML that it does with, you know, C++ and Java and all of that. It just knows what language you're in and it adapts to it. It'll autocomplete your own function names and variables. It's really, it's so smart and so straightforward that you don't have to think you just do it. And it lays out your code in a really nice way on the screen without changing the file, but it it uses subtle coloring and stuff to really help separate things out and let you know when you've say left, uh, you know, quotations open and you've got your entire file inside quotes. Well, you don't want that. Well, it's easy to see where you started those quotes because it puts it in bright red. You go and look, ah, that's it. But if you also just want to count the number of words in a file, BB edit does that automatically. If you want to compare differences between two files, BB edit rocks at this. And it'll show you this big, you know, three-paned window view where it shows the original on one side or the old version on one side, the new version, version A, version B. I don't know which one's old. It doesn't matter. And it'll show you the, uh, 
the differences and you can put, you can kind of scroll through the differences and it jumps you around in each file comparing the exact lines and down to the character, which ones really work and which ones don't. So it's really fantastic. You got to check out BB edit. There's a free trial available at barebones.com. Go ahead and check it out. And then once you decide that you're going to, uh, you can't live without it, go ahead and buy it from them. Let them know that, uh, that we sent you there. We would, we would appreciate it. And so would they, and with that, John, I think it's time to, uh, I think it's time to move on to Andy. This is, this is an interesting problem. It, it probably doesn't, well, I think it'll, I think in the end it will match our, uh, our metric. We have this, this baseline that we, we get to, you know, we get to decide with, but, uh, I always like to say that the questions that we bring up in the show apply to 20% of our users, at least, or our listeners. I'm not sure this one does, but it might get us. Oh better. no. Uh, for, for different for different for reasons different, correct for a different use case and, yep. and i have one in my head that i'll, I'll tell you about once we, we go through his specific situation sure. which sure. i would agree in and of itself i think it it doesn't meet a certain metric but if you think about it in a different way it, it does yeah yeah i agree i agree so all right we will uh we will talk about andy uh and, and see where we get with this andy writes uh I'm looking for an answer to a relatively simple question, but it seems to have stumped me and others that I have asked. And that question is, how do you take away a user's ability to delete, move, or edit files that they own? To explain a little, my mother has a rare form of early onset dementia, and as well as affecting her memory, it also affects, affects her sense of logic. Happily, she still remembers how to use her 2007 Mac Mini to watch movies and look at family photos and documents she wrote earlier in her life. It seems the little Mac has been around long enough that the memory of how to open up a family photo or an old poem or movie in the Finder has been ingrained. What a trooper that. Alas, I'm beginning to find that movies and documents are being moved around in Finder or even moved to the trash. Not ideal. Of course, I do have Time Machine running on this Mac, but it only helps if I realize a file is missing. So far, I have reconfigured the Mac so that my mother's user account is no longer an admin, and I have set the locked and read-only flags on the photos, documents, and movies, but this hasn't had the desired effect. Now, if a file is moved to the trash, OS X asks for confirmation because the file's locked and read-only, but a simple mouse click to confirm the operation will allow it to do that. Is there any way to prevent this sort of accidental moving, deleting, and editing of files or is the simplest solution for me to use my admin account on the Mac to take ownership of the files, but leave them in their original locations and set them as read only to all other users. The Mac mini is running the latest 10.7 lion uh, and the documents and pictures are held on the local hard drive. Um, the movies are on an external USB drive, which is permanently plugged in. So yeah, this is interesting. Sorry to hear about your mother's condition, Andy. Um, I'm glad that her computer, you know, provides her this, this, this ability to reach into her past. That's actually, that's gotta be very comforting for her um, for what is I'm sure an uncomfortable situation. Your idea is interesting, but it's almost exactly what other users don't want. So thinking about this, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say on this too, John. The first thing that jumped to my mind was Pharaonic software called deep freeze which is built for environments where uh, in, in schools, I think was, was sort of the first use case where they, uh, you know, with kids changing things, they wanted the ability to go back and restore all the settings and everything to the way that they were um, in the, you know, it, whenever they froze that Mac and, and that happens at restart. 
So I'm wondering if that would work here too. We'll put a link to it in the show notes and they do have a demo version. Um, but that, that was the first thing that came to my mind, John, I'm, I've got a couple more ideas, but I'm curious what, what you come up with, John. Uh-oh. I bet you are. Yeah. All right. Good. No, I'm here. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. I actually have two things. Uh, so in a similar vein, and, and I know some people that use it for this, Dave. So, yeah, the problem here is that things are inadvertently being removed. Sure. So I would, uh, I think I'm with you, rather than change the ability of the individual to uh, move or delete things, because to me, that, well, that, get, that gets to be a lot of work. Right. What well, I would say. Yeah, and you're chasing it. Yeah, you're chasing something that's well, hard to catch up with. Right. Well, what I would say, so in a, so it's similar to this uh, deep freeze suggestion, would be to find a tool that kind of eliminates the problem in that it constantly refreshes okay. the area where this stuff is. And yeah. there are a couple of other utilities that you can use to do this. So one, I'm going to make a save here in that I suggest that server would be able to do something for you as far as screen sharing. As it turns out, it doesn't. Sure. But server, OS X server does have something, and I think it's only in server, but it's called um, System Image Utility. I, I just came across it. I was looking at all the options here. I'm like, darn it, you know, I thought there was a utility in, you know, I thought there was screen sharing in server, but it seems there's not. But there is something called a System Image Utility that I think uh, with the right option does almost exactly this. Is it'll create an image file where if you run it it'll restore and, and specifically they have three different types here but one is called a net restore image and it says restores a volume over a network from an apple software restore disk image hmm, okay that sounds like it yeah. now that may be kind of i've never actually used it so you know somewhere to look i mean you know server's 20 bucks or if you're in the developer program it's essentially well it's 100 bucks then <laughs> right right um the other thing is you may want to set up intelligently set up a carbon copy cloner job or jobs to do this Right. Yep. Carbon copy cloner has really grown over the years. And one thing I could imagine you doing is, okay, schedule, you know, kind of like I schedule a backup every day at 2 a.m. Maybe you want to schedule a restore from all important photos and videos volume to this machine from wherever. And it'll do that for you. So if the stuff's accidentally deleted, well, you know, every day at 2 a.m., it's going to restore it all back. Yeah. So like a reverse clone. Right. So assuming the only thing is you'll have to go through the effort of, you know, creating the clone that has everything in it and then create another job that restores back from it. Yep. And I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, no one should be able to get to the authoritative version of the uh, clone that right. has all of all of the uh, movies and pictures and all that. So yeah, um, you'd have to. You'd, well, that that's easy enough to do because that that's what we do anyway with our clones. Is we have it eject them after the job finishes so that they're not online ah, and not being indexing. Right, but you couldn't do it with system files. I don't think cloning back on right. top of the booted system. But that's okay. I mean, you just clone folders. I use Carbon Copy Cloner that way all the time with my iTunes library and and that sort of thing. So well, that's just selective. Well, that's clone. the other thing here is that. So this network, so this system image utility, it looks like it has two. Well, it looks like it has three modes. I'll take that back. One is one where it installs OS 10 over the network from a disk image. Yep. So maybe you want to enable that every now and then as well, because yeah, my whole thought was that I know there are places, especially schools and stuff where they're like, okay, you know what? The kids, the students, whoever they're going to, 
do their best to trash this system. So, you know, we're just every day at a certain time, once they're all gone, we're just going to rewrite the OS and just reinstall the OS and just restore unknown configuration. And, uh, and that's what, that's know. what deep freeze does. <laughs> I just can't, I can't, okay. I can't remember whether it's only doing it with preferences and settings. The nice part about deep freeze is you can just have it do it automatically on reboot. Right. So it just, you come back and boom, mm-hmm. you, you're right where you used to be. Um, I can't, I can't remember if it does it with, pictures and files and things. So anyway, that's, um, yeah, lots of options. couple in the uh, chat room, setting up a guest account with this data in a public folder. Again, in, in her scenario, maybe there's, you know, there's, there's limited changes we can make to the workflow. Right. Um, but that, that's one. And then the other is potentially using just parental controls to, to limit this stuff too. But, um, yeah, an interesting thought experiment. I, I like it. I like it. It's uh, it's good. It's how we go, and we must go. It's how it works. What? We can only spend so much time here every week, John. It seems like we just started, Dave. I know. Yeah, and yet that's it, right? And now we're finished. Yeah, that's. But right. we're not finished. No, we're going to go at least another decade here. That's the idea. I hope. <laughs> Feedback at MacGeekGab.com, as we said once before, is where you can send all of your questions, tips, thoughts, comments, cool stuff found, whatever you want to send to us. Dave, I'm going to say it twice. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, that would be the third time. And I think we got it. <laughs> Premium at MacGeekGab.com. Thrice. Thrice. We've got to set up a separate email address just for Barry, I guess, now. And anyone ultra, else? Yeah, ultra, ultra premium. Line. Uber, ultra, ultra premium. Ultra premium, yeah. So <laughs> i got to set that up. But uh, but uh, premium at MacGeekCub.com. Ultra premium is going to be reserved for, for special scenarios, of course. Barry being the first. But uh, premium at MacGeekCub.com is, in fact, the address to which you folks that are premium subscribers can send things in. And if you want to find out about being premium, uh, MacGeekCub.com is the place to to do that and we certainly appreciate uh, all your support and even for those of you that aren't premium we certainly appreciate your support you listen to the show you patronize our sponsors you contribute questions and tips and all of that stuff so it, it everybody uh really it's part of the part of the whole machine here and we really appreciate it and it gives us all that warm fuzzy feeling it does I've got that what's warm the point of living. Un- what's the? Well, I think that's because you, you're all hopped up on drugs. Yeah, it's the Advil <laughs> gave me that warm fuzzy feeling about halfway through the show. Yeah. Two zero six 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 Geek John is uh, is the phone number that anyone can call, and John Geek is backwards. It's five three three four. That's correct. How do you like that? Uh, I like it as, lo- like as much a- as apples. <laughs> I was like, how can I change this? <laughs> uh, and then you can find us on Facebook. Go to MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. That's the easiest way. I know that sounds backwards. MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook will get you to the crazy really? URL that is our Facebook group. Yeah, because it's easier. That's crazy. Yeah. So we, we, we did that for a lot of things. MacGeekGab.com slash stream and all of that stuff. It, it, all, it all goes to the right place. But check us out on Facebook. We've got a great community over there. And we'd really appreciate it. Uh, you coming and joining us there and with that uh, I'd like to thank Michael Johnston yet again for converting this show to AAC and adding all the chapters and images and links and all that stuff right in there 
I want to thank the folks at uh, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They provide us all the bandwidth. Of course, Michael Johnston is the host of the iOS show, so check that out too. The podcast marketplace includes all of our sponsors for this month, and they are, as we mentioned in the show, Otherworld Computing, MaxSales.com, Linda at LYMDA.com slash MGG, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, Gazelle at Gazelle.com, iMazing, which we happen to mention in the show, Amazing.com, Tunnel Bear, TunnelBear.com slash MGG. Make sure you use that slash MGG link and uh, smile at smilesoftware.com. Check them all out. Have fun. John, do you have anything to, to share with, with us before? Well, you know, I do, Dave. So, so we, well, we went on this trip and, and you got me TSA PreCheck and that was wonderful. That's the way it should be. Yeah. On the way back, Dave, though, I, I, I think I may have made a small error um, in what I had in my luggage and, and, I, and, I, and it did get through. So I got to say, Dave, that I'm glad that I didn't get caught. 